Uh, my name is Luke. I work with the middle and high school students here at High Point. It's really great to see you all uh, this morning. Uh, today, I'm going to be jumping just headfirst into the craziness that is this season we are walking through. We're not going to beat around the bush this morning. We're not going to pretend this isn't happening. And it's been a bit since we've just had a conversation at High Point about how we all are doing with everything that is going on. Uh, I'm sure some of you in here are feeling all right. Like this has not been the toughest year of your life. And if that's you, I'm really, really glad that that is you. And uh, hopefully some of what I talk about this morning can still be encouraging and helpful for you. There are probably some of you in here though that this has been one of the darkest times in your life, maybe ever. Uh, a good friend of mine sent an email out to some people in the church a couple weeks ago talking about how this has been one of the darkest valleys he has walked through in his life. Just the accumulation of all this stuff, having to be separated and isolated, this pandemic that's going around, this general just unrest and tension that's just kind of everywhere. It was just creating uh, a total mess for him in his life, and he was realizing, I am in, in just a total pit of darkness right now. And maybe that's you this morning. You've maybe lost a job, or you're just really stressed about everything that's going on, and this has been a very tough season for you. My hunch is that for most of us, we're kind of in this weird middle, eh. <laughs> like when I talk to people and ask how they're doing, everyone's like, I, I, I'm okay, maybe. I'm trying to hang in there. It's fine. I'm making it as best I can. Uh, so wherever you land, um, we got to uh, just dig in this morning on the season we are going through. Because it's undoubtedly been tough for all of us. I think maybe the biggest thing for me is just being much more isolated. We're all so spread out. And, you know, when you spread a fire around, the embers start to die down. And, and I've just felt my heart and soul just kind of dying down during this time. I've just felt this sort of weight that's kind of been on my shoulders, this kind of heaviness that's over everything. I was talking to John Sikotowski, and he said he feels tired and diminished during this season. And uh, I really related to that. I said, yeah, that's, that resonates with what I'm going through. Uh, for a lot of us, just being this isolated is not what we're used to, and it's been really difficult. You're not in community. Um, we're not able to do church normally. Um, for those watching online, maybe you've never been to one of our church services, and so you're still just trying to do the online thing, still trying to make it work. You know, at the start of this, it was kind of okay. There's, it was kind of exciting in some weird ways, but we are just far over that by this point. I mean, we are past Zoom fatigue, right? Like, we just want to throw Zoom in the pit of fire right now, and never deal with it ever again. <laughs> um, for a lot of us, you're probably just dealing with more conflict than you are used to. My hunch is we all fall into one of two categories when it comes to this pandemic. You either think we are being too cautious or you think we are being too reckless. And you have gotten in beef online with people who are on the opposite side of you. Am I the only one? I cannot be the only one in this room who's gotten with arguments in people's Facebook messages about the articles they're sharing. And just that kind of constant conflict, potentially with people you are living with, just kind of wears us down. We're not used to it. It just drags us down. And so I think a lot of us are probably feeling a bit dragged down by all that's going on. Thankfully, God has great news for people going through a tough season. 
Uh, and if you've been around the church for any length of time, or even if you really haven't been around the church for any length of time, you probably know where I am going with this. And you know this to be true in your own life. You've seen examples of this. But in the midst of suffering and pain and darkness, it is hard to really believe it. It is really hard to live it out. And so I want to remind us and dig into this concept this morning. Uh, what we know about God and what we see throughout Scripture is that God does not waste trials. God does not let hardship have no purpose. God has a use for the pain and struggle we are going through. He wants to do something with it. It's not like he looks at our pain and is happy about it. It's not like us going through pain is something we enjoy, but there is purpose in the pain. God does not let trials go to waste. And I would argue even further than that. In this coronavirus, COVID-19 thingy that we are in, I would argue that it's not like God is just kind of looking for a silver lining. It's not like God is just hoping he'll kind of find something good out of it. I argue from the piece of scripture that we're looking at this morning that some of God's best work happens in some of the toughest seasons. That it's not that this tough time is just a thing God might find use for. This tough time is the time God starts to turn up the heat in our lives. It's the trials and the, ten and the, the tension and the hardship. I think this is where God starts to do some of his greatest work in and through us. And so while trials are difficult, we don't enjoy them and they're not fun. They're an opportunity for God to work in great ways that he was not working before. And so we are going to hang our hats this morning on this one point, and everything's going to flow from it. If you write one thing down, take one thing away, it is this. There we go. Uh, God's greatest work happens through life's toughest seasons. Some of his greatest handiwork seems to overlap with the tension. And it's in the trenches, it is in the valley, where God starts to do some of his greatest work in our lives. And this is something that we know just in culture. Like, we know that hardships make us stronger. You know, you work out and stretches your muscles. Every preacher has used that illustration because it's going to make you stronger later, right? Uh, and I think in the Bible, we see this same version, that God does exactly this. What are some of our favorite Bible stories? Are they the stories where everything's fine and they're just chilling on the beach? you know, and then God does an amazing thing. No, it's always the toughest of situations where God does some of his greatest work. Think about Moses leading the people out of Egypt, Daniel in the lion's den, David facing off against Goliath. Why are these some of the stickiest, most memorable stories for us? Because God showed up in the trial. In the New Testament, we see this as well. Think of Peter brought to his absolute breaking point when his Lord was arrested, denying Jesus three times, falling on his face in tears, only for him then later in the book of Acts to rise up as the leader of the church and to see many come to faith. It was through the trial that God did something in Peter. 
I think Paul is the obvious last example that I can point out. What was so great about Paul's life? Was it because it was easy? Was it because he took the easy route? No! God did some of the most amazing things through Paul because he was beaten up. He was spat on. He was thrown in prison. He went through trials. Half of your New Testament was written by a guy going through trial after trial after trial. Where do you think he gained the wisdom and insight and holiness in his life to be able to write those letters? He did not get that from just sitting around doing nothing, having everything be easy. He learned it in the fire. He learned it in the valley. That's where he got that from. God's greatest work happens through life's toughest seasons. Uh, I know a clear example of this in my life. I spent a year in the Middle East. This was maybe seven years ago. That sounds like a long time ago, but (laughs) that's what it was. And uh, it was the hardest year of my life. I mean, just, I was a young kid. I don't know what the heck I was getting into. I was like, let's go overseas for a year. And then it turned out to just be, I mean, brutally lonely, just very difficult work, just very strenuous in a lot of ways. And for the first time in my life, I developed a sexual habit in my life, a sexual sin. And I got really addicted to pornography during that year overseas. It was the first time that it happened. I was like, what is, what's going on, man? <laughs> what is happening? It was in the hardship that God was uprooting stuff. Stuff that was in my life, idolatry and sin, that I didn't even know was there, was being drawn up because I was reaching my limit. I was brought to new territory. I had to trust God in a greater way than I ever had. And so when I came back, I got help, and I got out of it, and I got free from it. And when I look at my life, and I look at some of the most significant moments of growth, it was in the hardship that God did that crucial work in me. It was in the trial that God did some of his greatest work in my life. I think conceptually you probably agree with this, uh, but you're maybe struggling a little bit in this current season, this weird 2020, whatever we want to call it, is just sort of, it came in and it's just sort of not really leaving. (laughs) It's just kind of hanging over us. And and maybe you feel just stuck in your walk with God. You feel stuck in sin. You feel stuck in addiction. Maybe you just feel really tired and unmotivated, just spiritually lethargic. Don't really have a lot of motivation to walk with God. And so you're wondering, okay, what is God going to do in this trial? What, what is God's great work he's going to do? I'm, I'm waiting for it. If, if he's going to do it, like, let's see it, right? And if that's you, I, I totally relate to that. I am preaching from my experience this morning. Uh, but what we can know, and I, I mean, if you're a Bible-believing person, if you're someone who's walked with God, you know that it is not God who's not holding up his end of the deal in this trial. You can guarantee that God is walking through this with you. That he is there ready to do a work in your life, eager to grow you and shape you and take you further than you've gone before, to make you stronger, to make you more like him. You know he's ready to do that. And so the question I want to ask this morning, if this is true, if God does this great work in tough seasons, here's what I want to ask. What's your part in this trial? What's your end of the deal? Because honestly, just to be blunt, you you really do have a choice. You could let this season float on by you, not really take much from it. You could let it totally shipwreck your faith and kind of wash you away and let it go to waste. Or you can rise up above this trial and come out of it stronger, more in love with Jesus, more committed to him. You have a choice. 
And I know if you're like me, if you've been walking with God, you want that second one. When you look back on the COVID-19 season, you want to be able to tell stories of growth. You don't want that to be the season where you tanked, where it all got washed away. You want this to be a season where you saw God work in your life. And so what is your part in this trial? We're going to look at the book of James as the brother of Jesus. And I'm, just, I'm looking at three verses. I'm a new preacher, so I can't handle a whole lot of text. So we're going to look at just a couple verses. Uh, and uh, James was writing to people who were, you guessed it, going through trial. They were experiencing pretty strong oppression, persecution. Uh, people did not like Christians at this point. So this is a potentially very early epistle. So there's a lot of confusion and just false things said about Christians. And it's a very hard time. So James is writing to people who were struggling with a lot in their lives. And James gives us two commandments that I think pair together to form our part in this trial. Two commandments. If you want to get back in the saddle, get the rowboat moving towards shore again, to get the wind back in your sails, the train back on the tracks, if you want to get your walk with God back moving again through this tough season, these are the two commandments to put into practice. I'm going to spend a lot more time on the first one than the second one. So, let's get into it. Yep. Uh, Here's what James says. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, or of various kinds. Um, count it all joy. Some of you are already groaning because you look at this and you go, oh no, I know what this guy is going to say. He's going to say, I'm just supposed to get happy about all that's going on. If I'm just happy and I turn that frown upside down, all my problems will go away. I'm supposed to be all pumped, but all this stuff, this is just like the same lame sermon that's given over and over again. And don't think that, because that's not what I'm going to say. What James is saying here is far deeper than that. It is far more grounded. There's far more to it than that. Uh, James says to count it all joy. This is like consider, reframe. He's saying this is not your natural bent. And I know when I look at this verse, I immediately start to feel guilt because I go, oh no, he's going to tell me I need to be joyful in the pain and the sorrow. I'm not good at that. I don't do that. No, no, there's the, the, don't feel guilty. Because he says this is not natural. Why would he give a commandment if this is what we already are really good at doing? We're not good at doing this. So he has to give us a commandment to actually do this. So he says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. This is the exact opposite reaction you would think of when you face a trial. Totally opposite of what you think is the right response. Uh, this word joy, it's a churchy word. You might not be that used to using it. Uh, how James is using it and, and what we mean when we say Christian joy. Christian joy is, it is a good feeling. It is a very emotional word. It is cheer or happiness or rejoicing. Uh, and, and it is found not in circumstances. It's found not in what's around you. If you're going to look around your life and see what's immediately in front of you, you're not going to have a whole lot of joy fuel. But joy does not come from your circumstances, primarily throughout Scripture. And joy is a huge theme throughout Scripture. It's used in all kinds of different ways. Joy is what believers have not by looking around them. It's by looking ahead. It's by looking forward. Throughout the Old Testament, this was before Jesus came, there was a promised Messiah, a king who would come to be the Savior. And this Messiah was promised would bring great joy. And so the people in the Old Testament had joy, not because their circumstances were great, but because what they were looking ahead to. And when Jesus, when his birth was announced, Jesus, who would be that Messiah figure, 
The angel said this, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy for all people. Jesus' birth was announced with joy. And this is why Paul in the New Testament can be in a prison cell writing to the people in Philippi, telling them to rejoice always. Even though he's in the darkest valley, stuck in prison, he can say rejoice. And that is because joy is not found in what's around you. Primarily, it's found in what we call the gospel. Uh, The gospel just means good news. This good news that Jesus came to die for all people in order to pay the penalty for our sin that we rightfully should get so that all who repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus can be saved and live with God eternally forever in a place where there will be no more pain, no more hardship, no more pandemics, no more Zoom calls, all the bad stuff is gone, right? That is why believers have joy. It's not in the circumstances. Primarily, it's in Jesus dying for us. That even when life gets difficult, even in the darkest of moments, we still know Jesus gave his life for us. We'll still be with him forever. That's guaranteed, secure, unshakable, not going anywhere. In the toughest of times, we still have that. This is the first commandment. This is the first of the imperatives that's our part in this trial, is to count it all joy. To have joy despite all that's going on. And what's cool is that James explains why here. Because while Christians do have reason for joy by looking ahead, we also have reason for joy in what God is doing now. And what God promises to do in our lives today, there is reason for joy. Real joy that will get us through difficult situations. So we got to go on to the next two verses. Uh, here's what he says. So this is why you counted on joy. For or because you know—in other words, you realize this, you understand this. This is not news. I'm not shaking the boat here. You're just in a trial, so you're forgetting it that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Your Bible might say endurance, or maybe even patience. Uh, And steadfastness, while it is really great, what's really great about endurance is what it is getting you to endure to, right? And James explains that in this next verse. Uh, And let steadfastness have its full effect. That's a really interesting construction that we will come back to. Uh, That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is our reason for joy in the midst of trials. It's not about the trial itself. It is who God is making you to be through that trial. And James has to take three words slash phrases to get his point across. He says, you are going to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Imagine lacking in nothing. We would spend a lot less time at Target if that were the case, I would imagine. Uh, I I can't imagine this. And here's the thing. When you are in the Bible study on this passage, here's the comment that comes up 99 times out of 100 when we see this. We go, well, 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 uh, hold on. James is being hyperbolic here, right? Like, I know my Bible. I know my theology. We're never going to be perfect. We won't be complete in this world. We're never going to lack nothing. That's ridiculous. And while I do think there is a bit of hyperbole here, let's not undermine the power of this passage so quickly. I think sometimes we let 
like the little questions get in the way of the real meat of this passage. James is saying that trials give God this accelerated opportunity to make you into all God is trying to make you. All like Holy Spirit filled, fruit of the Spirit pouring out of your life, wisdom and impact in your neighborhood and on our nation and on the whole world, a life of purpose, like a person of substance, godly in every way. That is who God is trying to make you. And I just wonder if we maybe not be as far along in all God is trying to make us to be, not because God isn't willing to do it, but because we don't believe he's willing to do it. Or we don't ask him to do it. I think what James is saying here, he's just like, look, you, you have such a small vision of what God wants to do in your life. Like your picture of what God wants to do, it, it, God's picture of what he wants to do in and through you is going to blow your picture of your life out of the water. All that you can imagine God doing in your life. God's going to do so much greater than that. He wants to do so much greater than that. Take you so much further than you could ever imagine. So, well, yes, maybe James is, is, he's laying it on a little thick. I think what he's saying is real. Look, God wants to make you complete, whole. This is real goal. Going through trials, the work God is going to do in you is going to lead you to godliness, peace, hope, stability, joy. That you, like, you can't, like you can't fathom it. You can't fathom the impact that God wants to do in you. The prayers God wants to answer. The ways God wants to work. The miracles he wants to do in and through you. You can't imagine it. You can't imagine it. And so count it all joy when you face a trial. Because a trial is an opportunity. And this is why we got to get joyful. This is a commandment in the Bible. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Be joyful despite the economy tanking. Be joyful despite there being this pandemic that is just holding on. Be joyful, despite the fact that you might have to be with your kids again in the fall for their fall semester because they're doing online school again. Count it all joy. And it's not because this trial is super fun. It's what God's going to do in and through it. The world right now is going insane. And that can weigh on us. We go, oh man, this is tense and there's tension everywhere. And I like it. Well, what an amazing opportunity for us to be the church, Yes. What an amazing opportunity for us to show the love of Christ to, that, to a world that needs it. What an amazing opportunity for us to learn to love in ways we've never had to. This is an opportunity to go further with God than we ever have before. And so, yes, we are joyful. And we count it all joy for all the things going on in our lives. I don't know what's going on in your life. It, it could be really, really hard. And I'm sure there's some people in here who are just like, man, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> this feels like a lot. I don't know. And um, if that's you, if you feel like this is tough, because I really do think this is potentially our biggest problem in this pandemic. Like, if you feel like you're sort of stuck in your walk with God, I think counting it all joy is sort of the oxygen to get the fire burning again. If, if you're not joyful, you are letting these storm clouds of this world and its problems overshadow God's promises. And, and what kind of faithful living is that perspective going to lead you toward when things get hard? It's probably going to derail you. It's probably going to send you off track. 
And so count it all joy, I think, is the first and most important thing we got to do if we are going to allow, or rather to work with God in what he wants to do in and through us. If you feel like this is hard, I guess I challenge you a little bit to uh, maybe get to the root of what feels so challenging about this commandment. Uh, You and I, we are swimming in a secular culture that is just influencing us in many ways. And uh, what secular culture is, there is nothing greater beyond this world. And so what is the purpose of your life in that context? The purpose of your life is to be as content and happy as possible for things to be as comfortable as they can be. That's the goal. That's the purpose. And so, yes, it feels impossible to count it all joy if that is your life goal. And I I fall into this, too. I get pulled into this, and I go after the materialism, and I want to be comfortable, and I want to just entertain myself all the time, and I, I do it, too. But if that is at your core what you're after, I just want to challenge you a little bit. If your goal is to be happy and comfortable all the time, I think you have a lame life goal. That's boring. Come on. You know you're made for more than that. If your goal is to just be comfortable all the time, like, why? It's weak. You have a weak goal. Weak. It's boring. Jesus made you for something so much greater than that. He has a purpose for you. That he, by the way, says is not going to be easy. Walking with Jesus, Jesus never beats around the bush with that. He says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Accept the pain, shame, potential death of being a Christ follower. That's not in the fine print you sort of scroll past. That's up front. That's like flashing lights. Like, okay, if you're in, here's the deal. And that may sound scary or overwhelming, but the reason that it's not is because the purpose we are living out is so worth it. Greatness is— always difficult. You have a purpose to not only be in relationship with the living God, who loves you more than any person ever could, you also are invited to build his kingdom, which will last for an eternity. It is unshakable. You get to bring hope to the hopeless, spread love to a world that feels unloved. We get to be a light, a city on a hill. We get to live out a purpose that is eternal beyond our wildest dreams of what our lives could mean, can be met in Jesus. He invites us all to that. Is that not worth us maybe being a little unpopular? (laughs) Is that not worth us potentially dying for our faith? It absolutely is. Completely is. Jesus gives us an amazing purpose. And so yes, we can really count it all joy. The book of James really does kind of function as a bit of a roadmap since he starts with this. Uh, I really think the book of James is a bit of a how-to walk through tough seasons faithfully. Um, This could be a really great quiet time for you this week, sort of going through this. Uh, I'm really going to be running out of time, I'm sure. And so I'm just pulling out one theme that I noticed in the book of James just as a way of application. If you're like, okay, I want to count it all joy. Where do I start? What do I do? How do I think through this? Uh, One potential action that I think James sort of points at over and over and over again is how we speak. And so as a way of application, I don't have time to go through this. Um, I got to go through this quickly, but he says, count it all joy in your speech. There's a whole bunch in this book about how we talk, being quick to hear, slow to speak, whole section on taming the tongue that out of your mouth can come blessing and cursing, talking a lot about quarrels and grumbling against one another. If we are going to be joyful people, uh, we got to analyze our words, yes? 
The world in general is not very good at this right now. There is more grumbling, complaining, fighting, hostility, lies, gossip, slander going around than ever. And as the church, we got to look different. What James is saying is like when you're in the, when the church is under pressure, the worst thing, the absolute worst thing you could do is start turning on each other. It's the absolute worst thing you could do. Don't do it. So he says, make sure your words are speaking life into the world. Kindness, encouragement. Yes, there's need for conflict and tension sometimes, and I get all that. But generally, we are people who are meant to be unified, loving. We're checking in on each other. This time people get really lonely. So checking in on one another, just seeing how each other are doing, praying for one another. This is what joyful, this is what count it all joy kind of people speak like and live like. And how amazing is it that our words get to have this effect in the world? If I can say one more thing as the youth pastor guy in the church to the parents out there, I just want to say this, that your children are listening to how you are talking about this situation. If the sky is always falling in your household and it's grumbling, complaining, angst, do you think your children are going to grow up to be counted all joy kind of people? It is less likely they are listening to how we are reacting. Are we going to be people who freak out? Are we going to be people who are stable, joyful? Sticking to loving one another, being hopeful, filled with peace. All right, second commandment um, comes right in the middle, and I'm going to do this pretty quickly. Um, Counter all joy, it's the first one. Second one, it, it's sort of wedged between. This isn't just a, a one immediate step, like count it all joy, and then you'll be whole and complete. Uh, there's this middle section. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect. It's really interesting. Like, you need to allow that endurance and that patience to kind of run its course. I think what James is saying here, let's, let me just get to it. Uh, he says, don't quit early. Don't quit early. If you do the count it all joy stuff, but then you're out before the trial is done, you've short-circuited all that God wants to do in your life. And so what James says, he says, hey, if you want to grow up, if you want to mature, if you want to make it, you're going to have to walk through trial after trial after trial faithfully. And you may not know what God is doing in the midst of all those trials. You may not have any idea. But those are the moments where our faith is really, truly tested. Nicole was mentioning this when I talked to her about it. She was like, yeah, this, at the beginning, this was kind of easy. Now, now is kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? Like now is where we're really tempted to start dropping off, stop meeting with the Lord each day, just stop kind of checking in with community. Like now is really where we're maybe starting to get dragged down the most. And now is when it can become toughest to count it all joy. But if that joy— is going to make it, we need to not quit early. I was talking to Manohar about this message, and the example he gave from his own life surprised me a little bit. Uh, he said that the trial that came to mind was him and his wife struggling with infertility for 11 years. 11 years. And he says this was just a really, really painful time, not only because they wanted a kid and couldn't have one, but uh, because as a pastor, and I don't know if you know this, I know this going into the pastor world, uh, like it's kind of expected of you to have a family, and if you don't, there's kind of something wrong with you. You're kind of inadequate as a minister. This is kind of the perception. And so Manohar went through year after year after year struggling with inadequacy and 
feeling like, Lord, what's going on? I've been asking for this, and you're not answering. But Manohar told me that, 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 like, he learned to trust God so deeply during that time. His faith had to go so much further than it ever had. And Manohar now is leading a ministry that is training up hundreds of pastors to reach thousands of people. <laughs> like, if I'm 1% as godly as Manohar one day, I would be—man, I'd be happy. I'd take that. That'd be great. Imagine if he had just been like, I'm out. Would have totally short-circuited all that work God was doing in his life through that trial. And Manohar may never know exactly why he went through that trial in this life. But you cannot quit early. So my question is, do you want a life that you endure? That you stick with it? Imagine your funeral and what people are saying about you. Do you want to be the kind of person that stepped out when things got tough? Or do you want to be the kind of person that when people share stories of you, they talk about your faithfulness step after step, trial after trial, tough season after tough season? In terms of not quitting early, I do have some application as well from the book of James. Again, quickly, and as I've been reading the book, just sort of gathering themes that I think fit this. Um, if you're like, okay, what do I need to do today to not quit tomorrow? Uh, what, what, what can I do to make sure that doesn't happen? I think one of the most helpful things James talks about in that regard is to continue fighting sin. I know there's so much I can say here. There's so much room for nuance and, and that kind of thing, but uh, it seems like he really pinpoints this as being a potential pitfall, a potential reason people are taken out of the game. People are pulled from their walk with God is when they stop doing this. I'm not going to read this whole paragraph, but— um, he gives kind of this counter path to the path we had seen in verse 2 through 4. This is just a little bit down in the chapter. He talks about um, sin that is began by someone being dragged away and enticed by desire. And after that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. I'm at the bottom here on this. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Notice there's sort of this counter path. It's like joy leads to steadfastness and leads to completion. There's this other path that is pulling you along, that's desire leading to sin, leading to death. And this is what's so scary about sin, is that it is sneaky. In the short run, it seems okay, it seems manageable, doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but over the long haul, it starts to poison and harden us in a way that leads to our destruction. If you're feeling like you, you are losing energy in your walk with God, it is potentially this. Because one path is leading you to life, and one path is leading you to death, and if you're feeling your soul dry up, it's potentially because you are kind of out of the fighting your sin kind of deal. John talks about how if, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. <laughs> so we can all admit we have something that we are working through. And staying in the fight of sin is probably the best thing you can do today to make sure you don't quit tomorrow. James gives— the answer for how to deal with sin, how to fight it. Uh, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When we confess what we're going through to people, there is healing. I think one of the probably greatest things I've been a part of, honestly, this is not a lie, I'm not just saying this for a preaching kind of illustration, probably one of my favorite things I've been a part of is the Forgiven and Free Ministry at High Point. It's a ministry of guys coming together, working through sexual sin and addiction. And I just got to tell you, there's so much love in that room, it's unreal. I guess right now, so much love on the Zoom call, but you know, you get what I'm saying. 
Just the, the support and encouragement and rejoicing and celebrating guys getting out of stuff that's been holding them back and keeping their walk with God sort of at bay or breaking free and, and stepping into greater joy, greater hope, greater purpose. It's been just unbelievable. Can't even believe what God has accomplished in and through it. And being in the fight of sin, it, it just it feels like it's kind of central to our endurance. And I think James kind of lays it out for us. If we're going to see God do a great work, I think God wants to do a great work in and through you. We've got to count it all joy. We've got to not quit early. This is, this is sort of the toughest part, so keep going. Uh, I've just one verse that I want to close with this morning. James gives uh, another little bit of insight on what he thinks about trials. And this is so profound, and I love this so much, and I wanted to save it at the end just to kind of leave you guys to think about it. I'm not going to say too much about it. He said, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I don't know what you're all going through, but I think that there is no amount of pain, hardship, that we could go through in this life where it would really make sense to jump ship on the Lord— based off this being the reward we'll receive one day. That for those who persevere, who stay with it, who remain faithful, who live out their purpose to the end, joyful, hope-filled, reaching the nations, there will be a day where God will place a crown of life on your head, and you will get to reign and rule with him forever. I gotta believe that moment is going to be worth whatever we go through to get there. That it is worth it to stay in the fight, to stay faithful, to choose to trust God, to say, I'm going to believe God at his word. I'm going to trust his promises. I believe I am entering his kingdom, which is unshakable, cannot be taken away by anything that's going on. I'm going to stay in it. And that will lead you to this moment where you'll be crowned and you will get to live with Christ forever. Let me pray for us. Lord, you're so good, and there's such reason for joy. God, we know this season is, is hard. It's not fun. It's not easy. But Lord, it's such an opportunity for you to work. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight of what you want to do in and through us. And Lord, I would just hate for anyone here to miss it. Because of not choosing joy or quitting early and missing out on this great thing you want to accomplish in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you want to do something great in through us in life's valleys. Lord, I pray that we would do our part. And God, we thank you for the work you're going to do in this life and the next. Father, we love you. In your name, amen.